Well, we're kicking off a new uh, series this month called Naming the Baby. Naming the Baby. Now, I don't know if your family is like my family. If you've got children, um, you know, uh, my wife named our kids. <laughs> uh, I had a little bit of say, but she named the kids, and I watched her give birth to them, and, like, she earned it, right? I mean, like, whatever. You get to do whatever you want because you actually birthed the children. So, um, so she, she kind of named our kids. I maybe threw a few middle names in there. But names are interesting now. They kind of go uh, in cycles. And what's, what's, uh, I've kind of figured out, if you want to know, I think I figured out uh, the crack of the code to baby names. Um, you name your kid after your grandparents' names in general. Like, the, like what was going on during your grandparents' um, generation, those are the names that are in vogue now when you have children, okay? Just, just, just think about it, okay? Think about it. Um, one of my favorite names that I've seen uh, there's, an, uh, there's an actor in Hollywood who named uh, his child Pilot Inspector with the word inspector spelled with a K. Now, that's bold. I like that. I like that. Come here, Pilot Inspector. That's pretty cool. Um, so there's all sorts of weirdness when it comes to people's names. But I want you to know something. In the Jewish culture, uh, the name of a baby meant a lot more than just a way to identify them or differentiate them from someone else. Um, the name of a child gave description and gave uh, a description of their traits and actually gave to them a purpose. It defined the traits of the child. A good example, uh, even and this wasn't a baby, but the man that we now know as Abraham started out as Abram. Well, Abram mean, mean um, one thing, but when he came in contact with God, God changed his name to Abraham, which means father of many, which is not just a new name. It's actually his purpose was to become the father of multitudes or the father of many. And so we see in the Jewish culture that a name is not just a cute thing that we like and we think it, you know, it'll, it'll look good on the back of a backpack. It actually means something in that culture. So we're talking about naming the baby, the baby obviously being Jesus, um, and, and, you know, let me just address this real quick. Um, I'm going to be talking about just different things as we go through this series. The name Jesus, uh, have you ever heard people say, well, you know, Jesus wasn't really his, his real name? Have you heard that before? Jesus? In, yeah. Well, it, that's actually true. So, like, in Hebrew, Jesus' name was Yeshua or Yeshua, um, depending on how you pronounce it. If you were to translate Yeshua... Um, Jesus' name in Hebrew, into English, straight from Hebrew, you'd get the name Joshua. And so uh, that, was, that was the name of Jesus. It was Joshua. Um, now, what happened uh, is the New Testament is written in Greek. And so in Yeshua in Greek is Jesus. Jesus is the Greek word for Yeshua. Okay? And if you translate Jesus from Greek into English, you get Jesus. Now, to complicate things even further, uh, most scholars think that Jesus and his disciples and the people of the time spoke Aramaic, not Hebrew or Greek. So the question is, well, gosh, would they have called Jesus, um, you know, uh, one, one of the Hebrew name, the Greek name, or would they call him an Aramaic name? And here's the problem with Jesus' Aramaic name. It's made up of four letters, three of which don't exist, don't have a corresponding English letter. How do you pronounce that? Um, the, 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 the closest that we can come uh, for the Aramaic version of Jesus is Yisho, which sounds like someone sneezing. I feel like every time it's like, Yisho, like, bless you, right? 
So I'm kind of glad that we stick with Jesus. I like Jesus. It's cool. Here's the thing. Again, the name is not just to differentiate. The name uh, announces the purpose. Well, all of these, whether it's Yeshua or, or Jesus or Jesus or, or Yeshu, uh, they all mean the same thing. And it's this. Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh is salvation. That's what it means. That's what all the names mean. So it doesn't matter. Jesus is great. You don't have to call Jesus by his Hebrew name. You don't have to call him by his Greek name. You don't have to make up some sort of pronunciation for his Aramaic name. Okay? You can call him Jesus. Just call him. Okay? Just call him. Um, And so changing the language of a word doesn't affect the meaning of the word. And so that's why we call him Jesus today. Uh, We'll talk about Christ in coming weeks, what that means. But, um, you know, Jesus had other names than Jesus. Now, you know this, the, the name Emmanuel, uh, when, uh, when the angel announced to uh, Mary that she would bear a child, at, at one point they said, you will call his name Emmanuel, and they defined what Emmanuel means in the scripture, and, and it's God with us, God with us. So when the, when the angel told Mary, you will call him Emmanuel, he wasn't saying this is what his actual name that he writes on his little carpentry tests will be, Right? He was saying, this is his identity. This is the role that he will play. He is God with us. And so that's why these names are so important. So, this is cool. So one of the cool things about Jesus is that we get to read about his life and, you know, what he did and everything. But we also get to read about all these Old Testament prophecies about what he would be like and who he would be. And so, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, there is an Old Testament prophecy about the coming Messiah. And it names four different names. And those are the names that we're going to be looking at during this series. Um, And these names aren't just what Jesus is called, but they announce the Messiah's purpose. Here's the scripture. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So these are four more names of Jesus besides Jesus in all the different languages and besides Emmanuel, which means God is with us or God with us. So we're going to take some time and we're going to look at this. Now, let me, I, I just love this. I just want to point this out. It says, Unto us a child is born. What's that saying? There's going to be a little baby human. Right? Unto us a child is born. So there's going to be a little baby human running around. You need to get ready because, you know, it's a baby. (laughs) Then it says, unto us a son is given. So while unto us a child is born announced the, the human nature of the coming Messiah, unto us a son is given, announced the spiritual nature of the coming Messiah. When Jesus came, it wasn't just a natural endeavor, it was a spiritual endeavor as well. Isn't that cool? So not only was a child born, but a son was given. And then it says, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Now, in some translations, if you read this, you'll see a comma between wonderful and counselor, and it may be separate ideas. Hebrew is an interesting language. I am not an expert in it, um, but, but it's, it's, very, uh, it's very malleable. 
Okay? It's kind of sways like this in the wind. It can mean a lot of different things. And so a lot of times our English translators are trying to figure out what in the world this Hebrew word means because it can mean like literally several things depending on the context. So, so wonderful counselor. Now most people think this is probably these two words are joined together. It's made up of two words. Wonderful is the first one. Counselor is the second one. Wonderful is not just wonderful in the way that we use it, right? Like we would say, wow, these french fries are wonderful. <laughs> right? I mean, there's good, there's great, and there's wonderful, right? And those are wonderful. That's kind of how we use the word wonderful. That's not what this word means. If you look this word up in Hebrew, it's actually a noun, which is odd. It's not an adjective like it's used here. Uh, and it means wonders or miracles, it means wonders like, I wonder why God just did that weird miraculous thing. It means, it, means, it means an actual wonder, a marvel, or a miracle. The second word here is counselor. And counselor is kind of like what you would expect. It means to advise or to give counsel or to guide. Okay, And so, so one of the ways, and I want to throw some different terms at you just to kind of get you, because I'm pretty sure you've heard wonderful counselor before. So I want you to think of this in a new way. So instead of wonderful counselor, you could say advisor of miracles. Because he's an advisor. And the wonderful is literally being full of wonders or miracles. So he could be advisor advisor of miracles. Here's another one. Like I said, the word wonderful um, is actually a noun in the Hebrew. And the word counselor is actually a verb in the Hebrew, so it could be said this way the counseling wonder. I actually have these up for you. Advisor of miracles and the counseling wonder. That sounds kind of cool, doesn't it? The counseling wonder. The boy wonder. He's really good at counseling. The counseling wonder. Man, I want to go to that guy. I don't want to just go to your average run-of-the-mill counselor, that your average run-of-the-mill person that, that can give advice. I want to go to the person that can counsel me, and, and it's filled with miraculous results. That's who Jesus is. This is one of his names. This is, and therefore, it's one of his identities. It's one of his roles. It's, it's one of the things that he actually does, is he is the wonderful Counselor, look, here's the deal. You're not going to get better advice from anyone than Jesus. Because when you employ his advice, you get supernatural results. When you employ his way of doing things, you get supernatural results. You're not going to get better advice or more lasting and effective results in your life until you go to the wonderful counselor. Now, I was thinking about this, you know, if, if, if you go to a counselor, and I, you know, I commonly see people in my office, and whether it's marriage counseling, or whether it's life counseling, or whether, you know, we'll do financial counseling with people, we do all sorts of counseling here at the church. I love it. I love doing marriage counseling. It's so much fun uh, to watch the people yell at each other. It's great. Um, that's a joke. Um, it's so much fun, though, to, to kind of change people's perspective and, and try to shift the way they view their marriage. Um, I love it. I love it. Um, but Jesus is the wonderful counselor. So I was, I was thinking and preparing for this message, I was, I was thinking, okay, so if Jesus is the wonderful counselor, I do some counseling and advising myself. 
One of the things that I think really sets someone up for success before they come get advice from the church here, what if we apply that to ourselves going to Jesus? So that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at three ways that we can go to the wonderful counselor, Jesus. And here's the first way that we go to him. By the way, all of, our, all of our, the sermon notes are on our app. If you haven't downloaded our VFC Thomasville app, you can just search for it in your Play Store, Apple Store. Um, lots of information on there. As a matter of fact, if I encourage you to stay for uh, all of these messages throughout December. We're going to be looking at the names of Jesus. All of our sermons are available on CD in the foyer. They're on our podcast. They're on our website, both the video and the audio. We want to get the word in you, not just on Sunday mornings, right? We, I, I need to eat like multiple times every day. I don't just eat Sunday morning. You know what I'm talking about? So we need to spiritually eat on a regular basis too. So I, I encourage you, uh, the notes are in the app, uh, and then in the app as well, you can watch the video and listen to the audio. Um, but here's the three ways that we can engage with Jesus, the wonderful counselor. Here's the first one. You talk to him. You talk to him. Now, you probably could have guessed that. You're sitting here in church. You know that, you know that Jesus is God. You know that Jesus died and rose again for your sins. But do you, be honest, do you talk to Jesus throughout the day on a regular basis? We might call this prayer and then you'd, get, you'd change everything. You'd start saying things weird if you thought you were praying. But I'm not, So let's not say pray. Just talk to Jesus. Man, I talk to Jesus all the time. I do. I talk to Jesus in my car. I talk to Jesus... All the time, and, and it probably makes me look a little weird sometimes. And that's okay, because he doesn't think I'm weird. But we've got to talk to him. We've got to learn to talk to Jesus about everything going on in our lives. So many times we wait until we're in trouble, until we engage with him. And he's more of our last resort than he is our counselor. One of the cool things about talking to Jesus is that he's been through it all. Look, look at this, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. We'll start at verse 14. It says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest, Jesus of ours, understands our weaknesses. For he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. Verse 16, So let us come boldly. To the throne of our gracious God. And there we will receive mercy. And we will find grace to help us when we need it most. God, this is such good news. You know, if you've ever been around someone in a position of authority. Or someone who's an expert in a a particular subject matter. And you want to ask them a question. You're kind of nervous because you don't want to say the wrong thing. And you're worried that they'll think you're stupid. Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. You're just kind of nervous, right? You don't have to be that way with Jesus. He knows exactly what you're going through. He's, he's been through all the temptations you go through. Yet he didn't sin. So that means he's got the answer on how to deal with it, right? And, and so you've got to talk to him. you just got to talk to him. And you've got to recognize that there's no shame when you talk to him. You can, you can come to him boldly. It says, come boldly before the throne of our gracious God. See, what you think about God determines how you'll interact with him. If you think God is gracious and loving and full of compassion and mercy then you'll be quick to run to him when you need forgiveness. If you think he's a big old meanie who throws lightning bolts at people who mess up, then, you, then you're going to stay indoors during a storm. But you're also, when you go to him, 
you're going to be you're going to be a little nervous, right? You're going to be a little reserved. So if, if you don't like the way you come to the Lord, you don't you don't like the mentality that you have when you approach him, change what you think about him according to the word. So we get to talk to him cuz he's already been through it. Here's another cool thing about about Jesus. Matthew uh Matthew chapter 6 verse 8. The Lord's talking to us here about prayer, and he's, um, he's kind of giving us instructions on what not to do. He says, don't babble on and on like the Gentiles. They think their prayers will be answered by just repeating words. Verse 8, don't be like them. Why? For your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? So God's asking you to talk to him about what you need, but he already knows what you need. Well, then why in the world would you need to talk to him? Why in the world would you need to engage with him? Here's why. The reason you talk to God is not for information. There's nothing you can tell him. The reason you talk to God is for relationship. He wants to be with you. Remember one of Jesus' names, Emmanuel, God with us. He wants to be with you. And so that's why he says, hey, tell me about the situation at work. You're like, well, Lord, don't you already know? Oh, yeah, I know, I know, but I want to hear it from you. Why? He wants the relationship. It's what this is all about. In the Garden of Eden, he lost relationship with humankind. And ever since, ever since, he's been attempting to get back relationship with his people. Whether it be through a system of laws and sacrifices or whether it be through his son, Jesus. He wants relationship. Talk to him. There was a season in my life where I was training myself to be aware that God was here, just wherever. He's, he's available. But it's only once we turn our, our attention to him that we you know, fully realize it. So I set an alarm on my phone to go off every 10 minutes to remind me. So when I felt it buzz, uh, I would think, oh, that's right. Thank you, Lord. You're here. Just to train myself. It lasted about three weeks. And then my leg got that like phantom buzz that you get if you have your cell phone. The guys might, the women, if you have it in your purse, you don't know about this. Y'all know what I'm talking about? When all of a sudden like it's the muscle memory and you're like, whoa, hey, oh, my phone's over there. Ooh. <laughs> so I was like, okay, we're going to, I think I'm good now. Three weeks, this is good. You know, walking around, hey. But, but yeah, we, look, you, you got to train yourself to talk to him. About what? About everything. About it all. Don't censor him. And you don't have to talk to him in King James. He, you know, he speaks King James. But he also speaks German. Talk to him in German, if you know that. Talk to him in your own vernacular. He hears your thoughts, for goodness sake. Just talk to him. That's what you do with a wonderful counselor. When you go into a counseling session, you know, if you go into a counseling session and, and, and the therapist just starts talking the entire time, they're not a very good therapist. Because they need to hear from you. They need to hear what's going on. They need to hear your thoughts on, on all this stuff that's going on in your life. So it's the same with the wonderful counselor, with a miraculous advisor. It's the same with him. You talk to him. Invite him. One of the things I pray on a regular basis is, Lord, I invite you into this situation. That's a good prayer. I invite you into this situation. Whether it's a situation at home or work, 
or, or spiritual deal or, or whatever it is, I invite you into this situation. You can take that, steal that, write it down, and pray that prayer and invite him. Look, you can do it on stupid stuff. I don't mean stupid. I mean stuff that's insignificant like, Lord, what do I buy for my dad for Christmas? For me, that answer is a lump of coal. But for you, (laughs) Navy socks and aftershave. Someone listens. That's right. But for you, I mean, invite him into that situation. And he'll lead you to something that honors your father for Christmas. Why? Because he loves your father. Right? So talk to him. Talk to him. All right. Here's the next thing that, that you would do if you were going to a wonderful counselor. Besides talking to the counselor, you listen to him as well. You listen to him as well. If all we do is talk during our time with the Lord, how do you expect to hear his response to what you've said? We've, we've gotta, there's got to be a time, you've got to talk to him, but then there's got to be a time where you cease talking and you begin to listen. I love this story. Matthew chapter 17, 1 through 5. I identify with Peter. Peter had a big mouth. Peter, Peter was always saying stuff when he shouldn't. He was always talking when he should be quiet, right? And when he should have stepped up and, and, and done the right thing, then he denied Christ. <laughs> so I like Peter because if Peter can be like the dude that started the church in the New Testament after Jesus was resurrected, then there's hope for me, right? So I like Peter. So this is this crazy story, okay? Uh, Jesus takes Peter and then James and John. Those are the close three. There were 12 apostles. He had three that were really close. He had 70 that went on missionary journeys. He appeared to over 500 when he resurrected. There weren't just 12 disciples. There were a bunch of them. And so he took these three, those three closest, he led them up on a high mountain to be alone. Verse 2, as the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Now, maybe you've been in a movie and it's like a dark scene, then all of a sudden psh, it goes to like a daylight scene and you're like, oh, whoa. Or maybe there's been like a bright light that's been flashed in, you know, like a flashlight in your eyes. And you're like, whoa, right? So this happens. So he goes up on a mountain. Hey, where are we going, Jesus? Um, you're about to see something crazy, guys. Check this out. Whoa. So he transforms. Verse 3, if that weren't enough, suddenly that means Bam. Moses and Elijah, these guys are dead at this point, appear and begin talking with Jesus. This is probably a good time to be like, what is going on, right? What is happening? Look how Peter responded. He starts talking. Verse 4, Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. It's like, dude, shh, be quiet. Look at what's happening. Just shut up. And that's what God said. Verse 5, but even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, scary. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. And the disciples were terrified. I bet they were and fell face down on the ground. I bet they did. You know, there's a time to talk. There's also a time to be quiet and to listen. One of the most frustrating things, if I can be honest with you, when people come and they seek counsel for something, 
And I spend a good hour, hour and a half, whatever with them. And I see them two weeks later. And I give them some really good biblical advice. I say, so how's that going? Have you used the advice? They're like, not yet. I think, okay. And then they say, are you ready to meet again? And I say, not yet. Because I need you to, I need you to listen. Not just talk, I need you to listen as well. Um, John 10. Now, I understand hearing from God can be tricky. I understand there's, there's loads of books out there. Uh, there's loads of, uh, of information out there about how to hear the voice of God, whether you're hearing the voice of God. Um, I had a guy tell me recently, um, he said, well, if you want to hear the voice of God, then read the Bible out loud. I thought, that's partially true. God has spoken through his word, right? But don't you know we need to hear God on what job to take? You can't turn to the Bible on that. And find that. We need, to, we need to hear from God who, who our spouse should be. We need to hear from God, you know, what, what, when I'm making a decision, how, what decision can I make? That's not in the Word, so we, we need to hear the voice of God on matters outside of the Word as well. And so the, the Word of God is God's revealed will, general will to everyone. You're not the exception. Everyone, everyone is... is uh, gets to do the will of God as expressed in the Bible. But the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life is the specific will for you. And the two work, work together. And the Holy Spirit isn't going to tell you to do something the Word says not to do. Because it's the same guy. Same God. Well, brother, the Lord told me to do this. I'm like, that's not biblical. So he didn't tell you. You're not hearing right. This has helped me a lot. Let me, let me read, uh, and, and I mentioned this before, but John chapter 10, 1 through 5, it says, I tell you the truth, this is Jesus talking. Anyone who sneaks over a wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief or a robber. Now, you know this. If you're driving down the road and there were like a, a, a farm with a bunch of sheep out there and there was a fence and you saw a guy scaling the fence and trying to get over, you'd think that guy probably doesn't own this farm. Why? Because the farmer's going to have a key, right? That's what he's saying. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he's gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them. He's a leader. He's not a pusher. He's a leader. He walks ahead of them. And they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from a stranger because they don't know his voice. Like, this is really easy. I, you know, I've read 10 steps to hearing from God, and that's cool. Read that. And, 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 and you know, we can, we can look at, but it's, it's so much easier than that. There is a promise in the Bible that Jesus' sheep hear his voice. So if you want to hear his voice, become a sheep. That's your job. Your job is to become a sheep. Not to freak out about, well, what does he sound like? Well, is this God or is this God or is this God, this God, this God, this God? Become a sheep. If you'll just become a sheep, if you'll just surrender your life, if you'll just yield every part of who you are to him, if you'll just do that, you'll hear his voice. It's a promise. My sheep hear my voice. So become a sheep and you'll hear his voice. Amen? So not only do we talk to him, not only do we listen to him, but lastly, we do what he says. We do what he says. Luke chapter 6 Again, Jesus is talking, and he, he kind of gives us some instructions here. You've, 
You've heard this passage of Scripture before probably. Starting in verse 46 of Luke 6. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Ooh. Ouch, Jesus. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Now, by the way, just, just a little trivia here. In the Bible, if you see something repeated, it's, it's, not, it's to denote volume. They didn't have exclamation points or italicized stuff. So when it's repeated, it's supposed to be louder. So you could read it like this. Jesus is saying, so why do you keep calling me Lord when you don't do what I say? Right? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. Verse 48. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against the house, it stands firm because it's well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down and against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. Some of you, your life has collapsed into a heap of ruins. Right? Why? Because you, you didn't do what Jesus said. You look, look, this is simple. You, you, if you do things God's way you'll get God's results. If you do things your way, you'll get your results. And those might be good for a season. They might last for a little bit. Good luck. My results have never been as good as Jesus' results in my life. So we've got to do what he says. Last scripture, 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Again, we've got to do what he says. It says this, I'm reading in the New Living Translation. It says, loving God means keeping his commandments. You know, just, just, just so you know, there is a test here. that if You, you say, well, I love God. Well, how do, you, how do I know that you love God? Well, according to Scripture, you know that you love God if you do what he says. Okay? That, that's just how you know. So if you're like, well, I'm not doing what he says. Well, then maybe you don't love God. Sorry, I didn't write that. You know, John did. This is the way you can know. Look, don't be afraid of this. This is a way that you can be honest, take honest inventory of your life and determine, do I love God? Well, I I like the songs. I do too. (laughs) But that doesn't mean anything. Do you do do what he says? Loving God means keeping his commandments and and his commandments aren't burdensome. His commandments aren't burdensome. Verse 4, for every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. Oh, that's good news. Did you hear that? I feel like I need to read it again. I feel like you didn't get it. It says, every child of God defeats this evil world. That's a promise. And we achieve this victory through our faith. See, it says, you obey his commandments, and a lot of you think, oh, no, I've got to do everything right. I've got to never make a mistake. That's not what he says. He says his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments aren't the Old Testament law. His commandments are the law of love in the New Testament. Where you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and you love your neighbor as yourself. That's not that hard. Besides the fact that all you've got to do is is attach your faith to it. That's what the scripture says. It says we achieve this victory through our faith. Faith in your own ability? No. Faith in Jesus' ability. You can overcome the world, not because you're so awesome, but because he is so awesome, because he is the wonderful counselor, the advisor of miracles, and the counseling wonder. And this is my question to you this morning. 
Do you also call Jesus wonderful counselor? I know you call him Jesus, right? But do you call him wonderful counselor? And I don't mean just call him and tell people, well, Jesus is my wonderful counselor. Is he your wonderful counselor? Are you keeping your appointments with your advisor of miracles? Are you, are you making sure that you're going to go see the counseling wonder on a regular basis? Your regular sessions with Jesus as the wonderful counselor will bring about miraculous results in your life. Amen? Let's stand for prayer.